destruction, the hard hand of war, as Sherman really did call it, struck Atlanta with a greater ferocity than it has any American city in history. This is the story of how Atlanta and its people came to be in the direct line of the whirlwind, what one of the besieged city's Confederate defenders called a grand holocaust of death. One. Frontier. And all sway forward on the dangerous flood of history that never sleeps or dies, and held one moment burns the hand. W. H. Auden, 30. Chapter 1. Flags. They stirred early. Climbing out of their cellars and bomb-proofs, the sheltering people looked up as if surprised to see the sun return. As if a sign of the world's sudden transformation, the sun they gazed up at looked different from those that had come before. It pulsed blood-red, suffusing the dense smoky sky with an unearthly crimson glow. Cinder and ash peppered the late summer air. A reeking sulfurous stew that stung the eyes had already settled over the town, filling the railroad cuts, hollows, and streets. Its tendrils wavered along the hillsides and ravines, and sifted through the blackened skeletons of what once were houses and factories, rail cars, and machine shops. It was the silence, though, that shocked people most. Three pre-dawn hours of gut-rattling, ear-splitting, and window-shattering explosions and gunfire made the previous night feel like the announcement that the apocalypse had finally come. But the infernal noise had ended shortly before the morning's light tipped into the eyes of those hunkered down within the earth. Slowly, tentatively, they stepped out into the dawn. Here and there heads poked above the ground one by one like mushroom tops, white and black, all filthy and stricken, the bone-weary women, children, and old men, straggling soldiers and rear-guard cavalry, began making their way tentatively toward the center of Atlanta. It was the morning of September 2nd, 1864. I have never seen the city more quiet said Thomas Kyle. The Atlanta shopkeeper and fireman watched the people begin to gather at the five points. He and his fellow fire company members had watched helplessly through the night as the exploding bonfire set off by the fleeing Confederate army flattened the Georgia Railroad's roundhouse, obliterating five locomotives and an eighty-one-car-long line of munitions-packed freight wagons. Together with the parallel quarter-mile of trackside brick depots and scores of neighboring homes, Yankee and rebel soldiers and officers more than twenty miles away watched the glow on the horizon from the ensuing firestorm. Thousands of Atlantan refugees in Macon, nearly eighty-five miles away, heard the thunder of the explosions. A big chunk of their city was simply gone. Not even a crow flapped over the smoldering ruins. At least while they were under fire, the people had known where the enemy was and understood his intentions clearly. But suddenly they were suspended between two great armies, one a closing fist, massive and unyielding in its grip on the city's throat, the other a rapier, bent and broken, yet still lethal, lashing out desperately from point to point to bloody the invader's death grip enough to make him yield.
General William Tecumseh Sherman, hunched with his 85,000-man Union army somewhere in woods and fields out past the seven miles of surrounding earthworks, waiting to conclude their violent task. "'Whether inside Atlanta or not,' proclaimed the commander of the Southern U.S. Army, "'the largest and most ferocious fighting force ever assembled, other than commanding General Ulysses S. Grant's own Army of the Potomac,' It will be a used-up community when we are done with it. He had yet to capture his great prize, but he was right. The hard hand of war, in his apt metaphor, had indeed smashed up Atlanta, squeezing and crushing it with greater fury than any ever unleashed on an American city before. Knowing nothing of their fate except the news brought into town on the rushing waves of opposing rumors and smuggled newspapers,